Hello, and welcome to the Engineering Your Farm podcast. This podcast is produced by the Iowa State University Extension and Outreach Field Agricultural Engineering Team. Thanks, everyone, for joining the conversation today. I'm Brian Doherty, Field Agricultural Engineer with Iowa State University Extension and Outreach. And today we're going to take a deep dive into the world of seed conditioning. Now, this might not sound like a sexy topic, but seed conditioning is a set of critical and rather fascinating processes to ensure that we have viable, high-quality seed to plant. Today, we're sitting down to chat with an expert on all things related to seed conditioning. Our guest today is Alan Gall. Alan is a seed conditioning specialist working out of the Seed Science Center at Iowa State University. So, Alan, uh, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Well, thank you, Brian. I certainly enjoy the opportunity, and uh, perhaps it's a, a chance to share a subject that they might not uh, see every day, but certainly affects things that happen on the farm, both from a standpoint of the quality of the seed that uh, that they're receiving and uh, many of the end-use applications that are uh, needed to be uh, cleaned and otherwise prepared for the desired market. So look forward to the discussion. Can you just uh, tell us a little bit about how you got interested in the world of seed conditioning? Well, uh, I grew up on a dairy and on hog farm in Northeast Iowa. And so the only seed condition we did at that time was a fanning bell that was used to clean oats and so forth. But uh, I came to Iowa State and majored in ag engineering and uh, originally thought about designing livestock facilities, but uh, had an opportunity to work with uh, the, the grain processing group and uh, eventually that part that became the grain quality lab and, and uh, some of the teaching laboratory sessions as well. And uh, that introduced me to the Iowa State Seed Conditioning Program here uh, because of work they were doing together. And so I was involved in the first seed conditioning workshops that were offered here in 81 and 82 and uh, met a lot of industry personnel and eventually graduated and went on to design uh, seed facilities uh, across the Midwest and other countries for the next 22 years after graduation. And I was also a frequent guest speaker at the workshop program over the years. So had the opportunity to return here to Iowa State and coordinate the program uh, in late 2005. And uh, it's uh, been a very interesting activity. Great. So, yeah, I want to get into more of a kind of the teaching side later on here. But before we go there, can you just tell us a little bit about what the ISU Seed Science Center is and Seed Lab and some of the things you do there? Well, there are some of you that are familiar with the university would know that there are multiple centers that are basically kind of management ways of coordinating the efforts of people in different departments uh, that perhaps are working on a given topic. Uh, the Seed Science Center may be one of the few that actually has its own building, and it's because uh, of the activities with the seed testing lab and uh, kind of the importance of uh, seed for the Midwestern industry, I suppose. But uh, the, seed, the center here is basically a focal point for all the seed-related activity at Iowa State, and uh, it enables us to help coordinate efforts by faculty and staff that are not only in multiple departments here at, at Iowa State, but also affiliated faculty at several other universities uh, in order to help provide a, a more diverse range of uh, different kinds of seed and so forth that they work with. Within the building here, there's uh, the, the seed testing lab is perhaps half of the floor space, and uh, there are multiple research operations here on seed-related things, as well as a global outreach program and uh, the related administrative personnel. They tell me that our testing lab is the largest public seed testing lab in the United States. Uh, there are private labs that are larger, but uh, this one does a, a huge range of different crops, uh, something like over 300 different kinds of seed, and they test for over 350 different pathogens. Um, the National Seed Health System for the USDA is also at least partly administered from out of this building. 
And uh, the research programs that I alluded to are uh, seed physiology would basically be biochemistry of seed, things that happen like that affect maturity or frost damage. Uh, seed pathology, which is diseases and some of the interactions with insects, as well as seed conditioning. We have a pilot lab here that I basically manage that uh, is used for teaching and research. Iowa State has a separate uh, foundation seed plant that's used for the public varieties. So uh, this is gives us the ability to provide capability and not capacity. It's not a production plant, but it has uh, quite a wide range of different machines that enable us to do uh, adverse mix of seeds, uh, even weed seeds, and sometimes they're being cleaned in here, uh, as well as some food crops and uh, other things that might be needed to support research at the university. And that lab is also used in conjunction with our workshops each, each summer. Yeah, that's really interesting, the diversity of seeds that you deal with at the facility there. You know, some of our listeners may not even be familiar with what seed conditioning is or what it involves. So can you just give us a brief overview, you know, when you say seed conditioning, what that means and maybe some of the history behind seed conditioning? Sure. Uh, that's uh, again, I, I like to tell the students when they come in for some of the classes and we've got a lecture in front of them that uh, humans have been cleaning seed for, for thousands of years. You know, it might have just involved winnowing seed, you know, throwing it up in the air or, uh, you know, using bamboo trays or something to clean it. Um, but it's, it certainly evolved past that. Um, seed conditioning, as it's called in this country, was originally called seed processing, and that term is still used overseas. Uh, but this changed in the 70s due to a processing tax and some other regulatory issues that might have raised seed prices for the farmer. When we're using the term, we're talking about post-harvest operations that are needed to basically prepare the seed for an intended use application. Typically for seed companies, this is obviously to be planted and grown, but many of the equipped machines that I work with and the processes are also used for food-grade grain operations and some of the higher value identity preserved programs that uh, would have to remove many of the same contaminants we would for seed. Uh, they're simply being, uh, you know, perhaps prepared for food applications. Then uh, when we're talking about the post-harvest things that would happen, it may involve uh, simply drying, you know, to remove moisture, possibly threshing uh, or secondary threshing on some crops. Uh, cleaning is very, very common. We've got to get the trash and the weed seeds and, uh, you know, broken seed or whatever removed. Then there's additional separation processes that are often used for removing low quality seed. Perhaps it's diseased or it's immature. We're often applying seed treatment, um, you know, the coatings that would help protect the seed from uh, perhaps uh, seed or soil borne uh, pathogens. I, I get involved a fair amount with packaging issues and things related to seed count and regulatory issues as well. And uh, finished product storage. Obviously, you can do all the work to, to produce good quality seed, but if it doesn't last you know for a year or two perhaps in the warehouse before the grower has it we've uh, kind of defeated the purpose so i mentioned that humans have been cleaning seed for a long time and uh, some of those same methods you know whether it's just drying it in the sun or winnowing it uh, are still used in some of the the developing countries uh, we have a global outreach program that that helps train people in uh, parts of africa and other in asia and uh, you know there's appropriate technology frequently for uh, certain volume operations and, and some seed crops here in the Midwest, obviously, uh, mechanization, uh, just like other parts of farming, permits uh, better cleaning at large volumes uh, that are required for modern agricultural systems. 
Um, many of the listeners are probably familiar with the old fanning mill site. I mentioned earlier that we cleaned oats at the farm. You know, that was just perforated screens and a simple air blast that would blow the contaminants away. Uh, if you look at the, the modern equivalent, an air screen cleaner is you know, maybe two stories tall, and it has much nicer perforated screens, uh, ball cleaning mechanisms so the screen doesn't blind more precise air separations, but the technology itself, the basic concept is, is similar to the machines that were being offered in the mid 1800s, you know, 1856 or so was the first commercial unit. So these machines have certainly evolved into more sophisticated equipment. Uh, it's typically suitable for centralized use at seed companies or food processing operations. Uh, some of the uh, the cost of the optical sorting equipment and so forth would, uh, would require a, a, an additional volume in order to justify the expense. Yeah, that's really interesting. That leads me to my next question about some of the more recent developments in seed conditioning. So what's some of the new technology coming along and, you know, dealing with maybe cover crops or mycotoxins or things like that? What are, what are you seeing there? Okay, well, one interesting thing about my job is that uh, I see frequently a small part of many different research projects. And and I have the opportunity to work not only with the seed companies, but uh, with many of the equipment vendors as well. And uh, so the equipment itself has obviously been evolving into you know, the, the traditional jobs of just removing trash and broken seed or low quality seed uh, it, you know, have been accomplished using different physical properties. In other words, this isn't a chemical mixture that we're trying to take apart. We're, we're just, there's things that are mixed together and uh, we're using differences perhaps in size and shape and density or color to remove basically the undesired material from the good material. And uh, you know which one you need perhaps depends on the application. And sometimes the separation is very easy. You know, if you're just trying to get, you know, very large oversized material or fine broken product that's substantially different in size, you know, some, you know, that fanning mill might do it. Uh, and it's a question also on how close to zero contamination you're trying to get. Uh, if it needs to be very, very pure, it might require uh, you know, larger machines running at lower speed and other things. As far as trends on the groups that we're working with, uh, historically, this has been you know, work with seed companies, but uh, I'm often involved with groups that are perhaps doing uh, maybe on-farm or local cleaning of you know cover crops uh, has been coming up quite a bit. Uh, one of my former students has talked about building his own little plant to do it for just the neighborhood, uh, basically to clean some like native species, especially where they, they don't want to ship them all over. They're not native to uh, an area, you know, 500 miles away somewhere. And, uh, you know, just more of the unique applications. Sometimes those, the smaller startup companies and so forth are needing to gradually develop those capabilities. Uh, sometimes it's even uh, like environmental restoration and uh, other things that we don't think of as traditional crop applications. Removal of weed seeds is something that you know has been done for years, typically because the weeds were smaller than large crop seeds like corn or soybean. But it's a lot more difficult if the weed seed is similar to your desired product. Uh, the, the one that's been kind of haunting the, the industry lately has been like Palmer amaranth. Uh, if that's in a pollinator mix, it can be very difficult to separate. So, uh, you know, there are things that have to be done at the field in order to get uh, desired results. There are things that we physically can't take apart very well at this point. In some cases, uh, you know, varietal mix is, an, is another common example. If that has to be removed, it may not be possible yet now. So it's, it's very important that the product arrives at a seed plant uh, in the best condition that's reasonably possible. Okay, I mentioned disease seed and uh, the, the seed health test programs and so forth here. Uh, pathogens can be a very big problem for vegetable seeds and uh, some things much more than they would see uh, in, in field crops. We've been fortunate in corn and soybeans that Although we have disease issues, they aren't the type that completely wipe out the crop like uh, some of the 
uh, watermelon uh, fruit blotch or something like this might be. And uh, in the case of tomatoes and so forth, there's a lot of work that's done in order to help prevent seed transmitted pathogens from traveling with the seed. But in the in the cereal grains, uh, we often have problems with you know some diseases that might occur on certain years when we have adverse environmental conditions. Maybe we get a you know really hot, dry summer and we have an aflatoxin problem, or perhaps it's really wet. The the kind of years that our pathologists uh, like uh, because there's more things to find out in the field. But uh, you know, an example might be uh, Fusarium infected wheat. Uh, you may be familiar with wheat scab. Uh, there are quite a few operations that have perhaps a, gra- a cleaner and maybe a gravity table that would remove low density seed to help uh, raise the test weight and uh, improve the quality of the even the grain that they're selling. Uh, but as the if you're trying to find something that's more subtle, it may require more sophisticated machinery or other control methods uh, beyond just typical on-farm equipment. And you mentioned mycotoxins. That's really kind of a feed or food type uh, issue, but it's they're they're produced. They're basically chemicals produced by some pathogens, and uh, they often limit the the use of the product for feed or food. There can be regulatory limits, uh, for instance, for aflatoxin, and if it's above a certain level that uh, you're not allowed to use it for a given type of animal or it may need to be disposed of. So often we can remove the badly infected seeds, you know, the ones that are perhaps low density or discolored, and that will often help us meet limits for a lot of the common mycotoxins, you know, the aflatoxin or vomitoxin, and enable the use of the product where it otherwise may have to be disposed of or otherwise, uh, you know, found a different market. And, and some of these can be serious. I was in Kenya a number of years ago for a training program, and they'd had uh, an aflatoxin outbreak a few years before that had killed 140 people uh, from eating, uh, you know, infected seeds. So, um, in this case, uh, just simple seed conditioning technology would have probably removed enough of it that uh, that it would have been safer for human consumption. Some of the more sophisticated equipment is gradually improving the ability to detect that. Uh, but it's uh, a common application, you know, occasionally for corn here in the Midwest, but certainly for peanuts and other things that we work with in the uh, in the southeastern part of the United States. And seed treatment has been evolving, and this is really driven more by products, uh, the different chemicals and now biological treatment products that are being put on. They're putting a lot more material on, um, and so that's that's kind of driving the equipment uh, that uh, that we're using at the plants. But a big change that probably happened over the last 10, 15 years was moving a lot of the seed treatment applications for soybeans from the seed plant to, if they were treating at all back then, uh, now it's being done often at the dealer or a distributor level. And this had a lot to do with uh, seed longevity issues for soybeans. They don't tend to store very well. And so often, uh, you know, if they were treated, then they had to be disposed of maybe as toxic waste uh, somehow. Whereas if they were untreated, we could take them to the elevator. So by treating the seed as close to the planting as possible, kind of just in time seed treatment, it, it helped ensure that the product that was treated would actually be planted. And, uh, and it also allows uh, kind of tailoring the product for maybe a given environmental issue for, for the field and for the, the farm application that they have in mind. Um, cereal grain has been often treated that way just due to volume issues uh, in other parts of the Midwest, uh, wheat production perhaps. And seed corn is typically still treated at the seed plant. And it has to do with not only product standardization and the sizes and so forth, but also uh, frequently more complex machinery that might be needed to put on, uh, for instance, high application rate uh, uh, seed applied insecticides and other products. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. I know there's been a lot of uh, changes happening in the seed treatment with more of the biological products and that sort of thing. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on. So I want to shift gears a little bit. We kind of talked about some of the machinery involved and some of the newer technology, but what about the educational side of, of your job with the Seed Science Center? You provide a lot of opportunities for both students and industry. Can you just give us kind of a brief overview of some of the trainings and some of the services you offer there? Yeah, the, the uh, obviously we're you know, with Iowa State University, and so teaching and training is a very important part of what we do. And uh, as you might imagine, in, in addition to other classes that students would take here, uh, we help frequently with a, a lab sessions for many traditional academic classes in agronomy, ag engineering, horticulture, plant pathology. And uh, this typically is customized to learn the parts of seed conditioning that may be important for the topic that's being covered in that class. There is an undergraduate secondary major in seed science here at Iowa State. I think it's the only university in the United States that offers that at an undergraduate level. It's usually in conjunction with agronomy or horticulture, where they can take a, a number of additional classes and, and get a, a secondary major in seed science. There are various graduate programs here in seed science at the master's and PhD level, as well as a uh, master's level seed technology and business uh, distance education program that uh, takes basically three years nominally uh, while they're working you know, at their day job, basically, and uh, provides a, an opportunity frequently for people that perhaps have uh, maybe a, a bachelor's in agronomy, but now they're working uh, in the field someplace and they need to uh, further their education. Um, I've mentioned various industry training activities here. So we have uh, short courses and workshops that we provide. Um, so there's actually short courses have been going on with seed analysts for the last three weeks that are covering topics like uh, seed purity, uh, testing and germination. Uh, so they're worried about viability and figure, but those are often used for certification of uh, seed analysts that work in a testing lab someplace. Uh, my own programs are the conditioning workshops that start here in late May and run through the summer. Those are specific to given crops like seed corn or perhaps soybeans and small grain and uh, specialty seed. We do some work with uh, getting the vegetables and tree seeds and so forth. And then we have machine specific programs like uh, on gravity tables or on color sorters uh, that we cover. The, uh, the seed technology and business program now has uh, a short course that's done uh, their week-long programs uh, basically twice a year. There's a seed technology program in the fall and, and a seed business uh, short course uh, in, in the spring, as well as some webinar programs that are typically in conjunction with the short courses. Uh, we had to do them strictly online for the last uh, two years, but uh, things appear to be returning back to you know in-person activities as well. And obviously, I've mentioned the testing lab. Uh, they do provide services for not only seed companies, but farmers and uh, in particularly the smaller growers that might be cleaning the cover crop seeds and so forth. So uh, there are traditional germination and purity tests that are uh, actually often required by law for selling a seed is that they also here do a, a really wide range of seed health tests and uh, other seed related measurements that uh, might be needed for given applications. Excellent. Just kind of wrapping up the conversation here, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about that we haven't gotten into or maybe some resources that you'd point people to for more information? Well, obviously, uh, I, I like to joke that I, I spend my entire year talking about seed conditioning and I still run out of time, but uh, there are various activities that, uh, that can be uh, useful. I've mentioned that I'm preparing for the summer workshops. Uh, registration is open for those if someone is interested. Uh, this is meant for plant operations personnel, so it'd be more detailed than, uh, than just an average person walking off the street might be interested. 
But we also have uh, tours of the Seed Science Center that are offered for not only industry groups, but sometimes, you know, just other high school groups or whatever that might be on campus. And so it's possible to arrange we need typically a little bit of advance notice to make sure that uh, that can be coordinated. But it's uh, frequently multiple tours that are here each week. And uh, I also get involved in, you know, separation problems. You know, I've mentioned sometimes that, you know, a particular pathogen may occur or that there may be... Uh, you know, an unusual contaminant, or sometimes it's simply uh, an alternative crop that's being developed. Uh, we often work with not only the testing lab here, but also with uh, other departments, you know, wherever is appropriate to have the, the expertise to help maybe put a process together for those alternative crops or to help figure out a solution to uh, a contaminant. And so, you know, that's not always, you know, as a service, sometimes that is uh, a, a way to help provide some outreach and to uh, help keep uh, better contact with the the needs of the agricultural industry and uh, for, for both, you know, seed and for some of the food grade applications. Great. Thanks, Alan. Uh, excellent information and uh, hopefully make people more aware of what we got going on there at the uh, ISU Seed Science Center. So thanks so much for uh, being on the podcast today and giving us a look into the world of seed conditioning. You can find more information about the ISU Seed Science Center and the Seed Lab and all that they have to offer at seeds.iastate.edu. You can also find them on Twitter or Facebook at ISU Seed SCI. Thanks for joining us today on the Engineering Your Farm podcast. Mm-hmm.